Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is me. I'm Reed. I've been on staff for 14 years here um, since 2008. Uh, that's me with Jesus on the left. And then up at the top right, that's my wife, Leanne, on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and that is my three boys down there below. Briggs on the right, who is 12, who just got a phone for the very first time. So big, big day in the Dent House. Uh, and then Jack in the middle, who is 10 and does not have a phone. And Graham on the left, who is 8 and does not have a phone. And I'm sure that that's how they will be identifying themselves for the next several years until their time arrives. Anyway, uh, that's me. This is uh, Beatific Hobos, or blessed is best, in verse not necessarily true, or quad city cannot be hidden. So we introduced the Sermon on the Mount uh, on Wednesday at service. Anybody there? Who was there? Many of you? Good. There I pointed out that the Sermon on the Mount is the first big public teaching that Jesus gave as he went about announcing, we talked specifically about the gospel of the kingdom. And specifically, I noted that Jesus announced this gospel about this kingdom as opposed specifically to like other kingdoms like Rome and other gospels. The Pax Romana, you guys remember it? Piety, war, victory, peace. There it is. And since Jesus went about pronouncing this particular kingdom as being over and against this other kingdom, the kingdom of Rome, or maybe even the kingdom that we live in, I said that I saw, I'm seeing the Sermon on the Mount as a sort of manifesto for this kingdom of God, uh, talking about detailing what is the way of life here in this new kingdom that we find ourselves in, what is expected of the citizens who live in this kingdom. Um, we talked about what Jesus meant when he said that he came to fulfill the law, which is a very churchy, theologically freighted phrase. Uh, we talked about how by that, he meant that he intended by his words and by his life uh, to, to get at, to show what it really means to get Torah, the Hebrew scriptures, what it means to get them right. That is what, what had always, he was, he was wanting to show and, and live what had always been the deepest heart of God for and through the Torah ever since the beginning. And that was wrapped up in one word. Do you remember what that word was? It's what two people who are married have for one another. Love. <sighs> it's okay. It's going to sink in. One of these days we're going to learn as Christians that it's about love. We'll get there. Anyway, if all of that sounds a bit much to you, you weren't there, that's fair. That's okay. Uh, go back and listen to the sermon on the CCF podcast. But with all of that in view, we turn now, again, back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, this morning for another introduction to introduce uh, our distinct but also very intertwined Sunday service, Sunday sermon series this semester. Did you like that alliteration? on the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes. For starters, what the heck is a Beatitude? 
Should we even have an article before it? A beatitude, the beatitudes. Should I ask? Should I ask instead? What is beatitude? I don't know. Does it matter? Like, do you ever hear that word anywhere but inside a church? Have you ever heard beatitude anywhere other than a church or a Bible setting? So does it matter? Supreme blessedness, quote unquote, is what one dictionary says. Blessed, another church-worn word. When Jesus says, blessed are the, what does he mean? What is blessedness? Some people translate the word as happy. Blessed, happy are those who, who what? A beatitude, and more specifically, Jesus' beatitudes, as Dallas Willard observed, he said it is essentially a way of wrestling with this question that we all wrestle with, which is, what is the good life? What is the happy life, the charmed life? And also, who's in on it? Who are the ones really living the good life according to the way things are in this life, this culture, this kingdom? What do you have to do or who do you have to be to be blessed? Which is an important question to address at the beginning of a manifesto. So here's Jesus giving us nine beatitudes to do just that. Nine statements about who is riding high in this kingdom that he is now announcing. From the get-go, here, surrounded by the crowds. You remember we talked about those crowds, the sick and the oppressed people that he's already been ministering to before giving any introduction or any explanation, any of the stuff about, you have heard it said, and there, but I say to you, before any of that, he is here just to declare, the kingdom is here, and here's who's in on the good life as determined by the nature of this kingdom of God. Who is it? Not who we'd expect. Not the rich and the laughing, they're not blessed, but the poor and the mourning. Not the assertive and the powerful, but the meek and the hungry. Not the thick-skinned and cunning, but the merciful and the pure in heart. Not the conquerors, the winners, but the peacemakers. There is no rational explanation for calling these sorts of folks blessed. They strive, they struggle, they suffer. There is no rational explanation by the scale of values that we tend to live by, by the kinds of things that we want for ourselves, we would not call these people blessed. These are people who are going without the benefits of security and prosperity and even fairness. And yet, happy are these, Jesus says. Blessed are these in this kingdom, the kingdom of God, a place where things are apparently a bit upside down. So this semester, we will dive into each of these beatitudes. Uh, and really, I'm quite excited for it. Each speaker, so we got the other staff, we got Stephanie, uh, we got a beloved alum, Frowny, Hannah Smiles, anybody know Hannah? Yeah, our dear friend Phil Fardum from Global Scope who, I don't know if you were there last year, he like wooed us into this hushed stillness with his three stories. Do you remember these stories? About being chased after a Chilean soccer match and about his daughter and about, I forgot the first one. Uh, and of course, Marty Solomon, master of the Bema podcast and ruler over everything the light touches. Uh, they are gonna all be coming to 
speak to us, and each one is going to be given one beatitude. So when you come each week, one verse. That's all you got to keep up with. One small verse that each of them is going to take a deep dive into, and then they will reemerge, hopefully, with glimpses of the blessedness of the kingdom of God. So for this morning, by way of introduction, I want to give us just a small flavor of each of the Beatitudes and hopefully maybe a slight glimpse of how blessedness is already among even such silly folks as us. And then uh, a final word at the end to help us see that if one side of the coin of beatitude is the shocking good news that the unlikely are blessed, uh, then the other side is that there must be at least some of us who are called to be the blessing. Let's do it this way. I've been told that the rabbis in Jesus' day didn't really like to talk in the abstract, but instead they liked to talk about things they could point to if they could help it. So, for example, when Jesus stood in a town in Galilee and told the story about the prodigal son, you guys know this story? He talked about how the prodigal son ran to a faraway country. He could literally point right across the sea. The sea is not very big, by the way. It's more like a lake. He could just point right across the way to a city on the coast, the city in the Decapolis, and so think kind of like pagan, Las Vegas, and the Jews called that the faraway country. So he could point to it, and he's like, he ran over there. Or when he talked about the gates of hell not prevailing against the church, do you guys know this? You've heard this phrase, the gates of hell will not prevail against it uh, at Caesarea Philippi. He could literally point to the pagan temple that was actually called the gates of hell when he talked about it. So concreteness has a way of bringing things to life. So in that same spirit, and wondering myself, actually, uh, when Jesus pronounced the Beatitudes, I wonder, was he going about like through the crowd and was he putting his hands on the poor in spirit and the mourners and the peacemakers? Like, was he pointing them out as he spoke? Uh, I want to do a similar thing and hopefully bring to life some of the wonder and the wild grace of the ways that we, us here, CCF, these people are blessed in the kingdom of God. So, I can already tell this is going to be tough. Drew Kilmer, blessed are the poor in spirit, not the vigorous, not the rich spirited ones, the larger than life personalities that everyone is magnetically drawn to, but the ones who may sometimes feel as though they are not seen, the ones who feel like their spiritual bank account is sometimes or maybe even often running at a deficit, who identify much more with Thomas as he said, help my unbelief, than when he said, Lord, I believe. In the kingdom of God, you are blessed, Drew. It belongs to you. Derek and Tabitha, blessed are those who mourn. Not the ones running around with smiles plastered on their faces, trying to convince everyone that everything is fine, but the ones who, when life or others have taken something precious or several things precious from them, they have chosen to mourn. The ones who mourn just as much over what has been taken from others, more even than they know how to mourn for themselves. Because the mourners have seen 
that the God who prevents devastation, the God who always protects and prospers, they've seen that that is a false God. In the kingdom of God, you are blessed, Derek and Tab, because you've come to know the genuine and sometimes painful comfort of the God who is there with you in your morning. Sianna, Fanger, blessed are the meek, not the bullies and the go-getters, but the ones who set their power because they do have power. They set it aside, just as Jesus did, to trust in the way and the manner and the timing of Jesus, the gentle and the humble one. The ones who say, not my will more than the rest of us. The ones who risk being trampled on because they refuse to get what is rightfully theirs, the land of their inheritance, in any way that would crush whoever is in their way. In the kingdom of God, you are blessed, Siana. God will provide everything you need. Esther Belzer. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not the ones who hunger and thirst for their own career advancement or maximum leisure, but the ones who yearn and strive for things to be right in the forgotten places of the world. The ones who work for the marginalized and the lonely in the nursing homes. The ones who want to make Relationships for those who have no relationships. In the kingdom of God, you are blessed, Esther. Not chasing after unsatisfying things, you will be satisfied. Sarah Mambo, blessed are the merciful. Sometimes being merciful to someone gets you nothing in return. Sometimes what it gets you is thrown out. The merciful don't always receive mercy from others. And so how do we forgive the ones who hurt us, especially when they're not asking for forgiveness, when they don't even care about your forgiveness? The merciful choose to keep asking these questions and keep leaning into mercy when it doesn't make any sense. In the kingdom of God, you are blessed. Sarah, while you may not find the mercy you desire from others, the mercy you will discover in choosing to extend it to others is the mercy that burns at the very heart of God. Leanne. Don't look at me. Blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, Not the ones who are duplicitous, and who operate with, okay, not looking at you anymore, <clears throat> with ulterior motives, not the ones who have to try to have everything all the time, but the ones who will to live the one life that they have in the present moment, and to hear the voice of God in it as it is, not yearning for some other time or waiting for some other grander experience, the ones whose single-minded and relentlessly intent will is on uh, goodness so much that it drives others crazy sometimes. The ones who stoop down into the boring and the daily to gather up 
what God is providing for them there, not pretending to be anything they aren't or have anything they don't. In the kingdom of God, you are blessed, love. You see God when you look down. Ellie Jensen, blessed are the peacemakers, the ones who won't accept a flimsy ceasefire as true peace, the ones who demand that everything finally be put into its right place, even for the ones who hurt you most, the ones who seem crazy to all the world who say to just let go already and move on with your life, who simply won't give up until that final puzzle piece is found and the whole picture can be seen and loved, even in their worst enemies. In the kingdom of God, you are blessed, Ellie. Someday, uh, we'll see that the kingdom isn't complete without the enemies that you have worked tirelessly to reconcile with, and we'll all look at you, and we will call you a daughter of God. Nat and Brooke. Where's Brooke? Blessed are the ones who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Not the ones who are glorified because they learned to so expertly live for themselves and the approval of others, but the ones who refuse to work for the sake of gain or status, even as others criticize or condemn you because you don't. The ones who persist in the earnest work of God's kingdom when others tell you that there are more sensible things to be doing with your lives the ones who understandably might have a hard time talking about their careers and the presence of their friends who do big professional things and make big professional money, the ones whose jobs don't garner the admiration and respect that others might. In the kingdom of God, you are blessed, Brooke, and that is within you. What all this boils down to, I think, is what Jesus wants to point out is what's not so obvious to those who have the eyes of the kingdom of Caesar or Alexander or America, and that is this, that the ones whom fortune favors are not necessarily the ones that God favors. Who do we regard as blessed, Jesus wants to know. Because there's a question implicit in his proclamation. Who do we regard as blessed? Who do we see as winning and lucky and successful? The charismatic ones? The talented ones? The intelligent ones? The attractive ones? Probably. It's what we've been trained to see as blessed. But can we see another way? Jesus is showing us. And for the many of us in here who sit in the seat of Jesus' disciples. We are his disciples. As he takes the time here at the outset to clarify for us just who is favored in this strange new kingdom, the question I want us to consider is this. How do we treat people we typically regard as blessed? Think about it. Think about who you naturally regard as blessed. We have a culture of celebrity. Think about how you would treat them. I'm sure some of us in here have fantasized about what you would say if so-and-so came to your house or if you ran into them on the street. We admire them. We give them special treatment. We honor them. We want to be around people we see as favored, successful, and blessed. We want them to like us. We want to be in their good graces. 
So what if we begin to regard the ones that the world walks over or ignores or tosses aside? What if we begin to regard them as blessed? Could it affect the way that we treat them? You see how regard has everything to do with this? Like if we truly regard as blessed those that the world looks at as a bad investment, like maybe we would start to welcome them in the way that we would welcome LeBron or T-Swift. And I think this is what Jesus is really getting at by starting this way. Because does anyone know what the very next thing is that he says after the Beatitudes? He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, I don't want to steal Derek's thunder. It's his passage for Wednesday. It's yours, boss. But I need to draw our attention to it just a bit here at the end because given that he is speaking to his disciples... I think he follows the Beatitudes with this for a reason. Because do you know what cities on hills are? In Jesus' day, the wild country outside the city was often a dangerous place. Robbers would hide out along the roads that wound through the mountains and the valleys, just waiting to pounce on vulnerable travelers. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. Aside from being dangerous, also outside of the established towns, that's the places where the poor people lived. Those who couldn't afford uh, rooms and houses of stone walls, they, they had to live in tents out just on the land. But when they needed welfare, where would they go? To the cities, to the gates of the cities, and they would ask for help. This kind of Charity, this kind of restoration and protection of the vulnerable is what the Bible calls justice. This is the biblical version of justice. And the place where it was supposed to be administered was the very first place that you would come to when you arrived at the city, the gates. A city on a hill then, it means a beacon of hope. It means a place of refuge as vulnerable and destitute people navigated their lives outside of established communities. When they came upon the cities, they would take a deep breath and know that at least for a little while, they could get some relief, some blessing, perhaps. At least that's how it's supposed to work. Now, I know that this is going to be hard to believe, but there have been times in the past, and maybe even in the present, when those who were fortunate enough to be provided for decided not to extend that provision to those who were in need. From Amos, I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. He's talking to us, the disciples. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. They haven't even gotten inside, and we're already turning them away. Seek good and not evil that you may live, and so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. As you have said, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate of the city. And it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. A city on a hill is supposed to be a place that the lowly and the vulnerable jump for joy when they see it. Here, finally, some comfort for my grief, some satisfaction for my hunger, a place for me who can't make a place for myself. Is that how people feel when they see Jesus' disciples? 
when they see us? Or do they say, never mind, I'll take my chances out in the wild? See, it doesn't work if the citizens turn aside the needy and just focus on the people who are already inside the walls. The city on the hill isn't really doing its job as a city if the gates aren't open and if they're not a place where blessing is administered. And the pronouncements that Jesus is making, what he spends all this time at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, it just rings hollow. So the question is, those that Jesus is declaring blessed, how will they receive the blessing if those who call themselves Jesus' disciples aren't really being a city on a hill? Where will their comfort come from? Where will they find the mercy that they need? Where will they find the justice of being treated like a human being that they're craving? Are we sitting around inside the wall saying, eh, God will give it to them. Okay, yeah, God will give it to them. But how? Through the ether? In a vacuum? Out of thin air? Jesus needs his disciples to actually be his partners, not just devoted students pondering his words and thinking about how great he is. And wasn't it really nice the time that he called all those people blessed? That was so nice. He needs partners who actually join with him to be the blessing that he is pronouncing. That's it. What we do, it's up to us. And I don't know what that will be. But I hope on our campus that we will follow Jesus to the places and people he is looking to bless. And I hope uh, the surprising nature of these Beatitudes will better help us see where they are and who they are. Whatever the case with us, whatever we do, I do believe and hope that God, for his part at least, is merciful and creative enough to find others who will partner with him if we won't. I think in the end, though, uh, that would be our loss. If we refuse to be the salt and the light and the cities that he's telling us that we are, you are this now. If we refuse to be that, uh, then the only ones who are ultimately missing out on the blessings of the kingdom are us. The truth Jesus is always talking about that you only find life and blessing by giving it away runs from top to bottom in the kingdom of God. That's how it is. There's no other way. So what will we do? And now, may we partner with Jesus and bless those who are blessed. And may we have eyes to see who they are. And may we laugh when we realize it's us. And may we open our arms when we realize it's others. And may we rejoice at the grace that God has spilled all over this community and share it. Blessed are you, Lord God, creator of the universe. Blessed are you. We bless you for our creation. We bless you for calling us to partner with you. We bless you for 
your patience and mercy with us as we often ignore that invitation. We bless you for your patience with us as we ignore the ones around us whom you are calling blessed. We ask forgiveness for all of the stupid time we spend worshiping celebrities, worshiping false ideals of what we think it means to be a successful and blessed person. Give us another way to see, Lord. Give us another way. <laughs>